Hey, if you're new here to City Church, this is a big morning for us as a church. Uh, this is a little different. I, I want you to know that this, is, uh, this day is going to be a little bit different, uh, different. We don't normally take two offerings in a service, but we're going to do that today. In fact, we're going to take the first offering right now. So ushers, if you guys would go ahead and come on up and take the first offering. This offering today, now wait, 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 before you take it, just before you take it, let me just say something. This first offering is just, it's our general offering. It's the one that we take every week, and it's for the regular ongoing expenses of the church, okay? So this is not the church for the city offering. We're going to do that in a little bit. So if you want to give to the, the uh, purchase of the new building that we're purchasing, you're going to hold that off until just a little bit. This is the regular offering. So, so this is not, say not, not, this is not the church for the city offering. Okay, ushers, go ahead and take that. And then we're going to take uh, the second offering later on. Um, while they're taking the offering, I just want to call you guys, I want to call your attention uh, to something. Um, I want to honor a very special couple uh, at our church this morning. 60 years ago today, 60 years ago today, on May 10th, 1955, Jeanette and Darwin Getty were married, and they're a part of City Church, and they're celebrating today their 60th wedding anniversary, and I just want to honor them. Would you guys stand back there, please, for us? After the service, there's going to be a little reception in their honor back, uh, back out near City Square. Uh, there's going to be cake back there. If you'd like to go back and celebrate with them, say something special to them, that would be really neat. And I want to just say, because I don't want to get a trend started, we don't do this for every anniversary, okay? So like, like, like when you get to 50, call us. Short of that, celebrate on your own, okay? <laughs> but, but 60, come on, man, that's, that's unusual. So we're going to celebrate that. That's fantastic. I want to say a word of prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, what a, what a special couple. What a neat thing that in a culture that doesn't honor and celebrate commitment, the two people in our midst have stayed together uh, for 60 years through the ups and through the downs of marriage. And Lord, I pray that we would be inspired by that uh, and that you would speak to us about commitment through their example. Lord, this morning as we go into the scriptures, we pray that you would indeed give us ears to hear, eyes to see, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, and that you would encourage us, Lord. And so I pray that uh, as as we hear your word today, that we would do so attentively and with a sense of urgency. And our Lord, it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. I want to welcome those of you who are listening to us by our podcast or by our app this morning. It's great to have you with us. Uh, Those of you who have been with us for some time know that we have been in a little series, a series on the book of Mark. We've been covering the first three and a half years of Jesus' life through the first eight chapters of the gospel of Mark. And what we've been trying to do is make sure that we see Jesus, uh, who Jesus is based on an eyewitness account. 
We're not interested in who people today think he is. Uh, We're not interested in who they want him to be. We're not interested in the politically correct Jesus. Uh, We're interested in the real Jesus, who he is, straight up, like not distilled, not diluted, just what, who he is, and we're interested in what he does and what he has to say to us as a culture. And so we're going to pick that series back up this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, turn with me in it to Mark chapter 1, verse 21. Mark chapter 1, verse uh, 21, okay? Mark 1, verse 21. And in the verses we're going to look at this morning, uh, Mark, wants to, Mark wants us to see and understand three characteristics of Jesus that have some profound implications for our lives. Here they are. i just give them to you up front, and then I'll explain each of them individually. Here are the three characteristics of Jesus that Mark wants us to get. First, he wants us to see Jesus' authority. Second, he wants us to see Jesus' humility. And then third, he wants us to see Jesus' multidimensionality. And I'll walk you through each of these individually. His authority, his humility, and then his multidimensionality. Uh, the multidimensionality of his ministry. Okay, let's start with Jesus' authority first. And I want you to remember, before we, go into, uh, before we read this passage, just remember this, that Jesus has been baptized by the Holy Spirit. We saw that in week one. Uh, he has called uh, a few of his disciples. We saw that uh, in week two. And now Mark tells us that all hell breaks loose uh, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, literally. Watch this, verse 21. They, the disciples... And Jesus went to Capernaum. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. Underline, highlight, whatever you do, circle that word. Not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God, be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with, underline, highlight, whatever you you do, uh, this word, authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And then I want to go ahead and read on from verse 29. As soon, underline that phrase too, as soon, because you're going to see this show up a lot in the Gospel of Mark. Words like as soon, immediately, uh, these transitions from one place to another, Mark does them very quickly. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew, Simon's mother-in-law. It's a great text for Mother's Day. His mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now, right away, Mark affirms something that modern people steeped in a naturalistic philosophy for the last 300 years find primitive and bizarre. That there is supernatural evil in the world. And in this case, in the form of demonic possession. And Mark uses this encounter that Jesus has with a demon, and ultimately with a number of demons, 
along with Jesus' healing of Simon's mother-in-law and the healing of other people as well, to highlight Jesus' authority. Okay? And you may have noticed, in fact, I pointed out to you a little bit ago that he uses that word authority twice, but once, both in, uh, once in verse 22, and then he, he does it again in verse uh, 27. The question is this, why does Mark want us to see this issue of Jesus' authority? Why is that so important to Mark, to highlight, to call out? The reason is this, Mark senses that when Jesus uh, entered the world, something huge, something monumental, something fundamental about reality changed. And this new reality, this thing that has changed so much, is what Jesus referred to back in verse 15 of chapter 1. I don't know if you, if you remember this, we'll put it up on the screen. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Uh, repent and believe the good news. Now, some of you are probably are kind of fuzzy about what he's talking about with this kingdom of God thing. Because when you hear, uh, you know, the good news of the gospel, that usually means, well, we're going to tell you uh, how to go to heaven when you die. What's he talking about, this kingdom of God? Okay, think about this. Back in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates the world. It's good. Everything about the world is good. Everything works the way it was supposed to work. Psychologically, socially, physically, spiritually, the environment, animals, everything in the world worked together perfectly. Everything was in harmony. Everything was right because there was one king over the world. The king was God himself. And the world was his kingdom. But Genesis chapter 3 tells the next part of the story. And it says that humanity rejected God's kingship and humanity chose to become our own autonomous uh, kings. And that move toward autonomy, uh, toward uh, self-centeredness, it blew the world apart. Everything disintegrated when we chose to become our own kings. Everything that's wrong with the world today, everything, psychologically, physically, relationally, uh, socially, culturally, environmentally, everything came out of that. It all blew up. Everything that's wrong with the world today is a result of our decision to become our own king. Now, instead of one king, think about this. Instead of one king over the world, the world now has seven billion kings each operating under their own authority, and each operating for their own individual interests, right? That's the way the world is today. That's what happened to the kingdom that God established in Genesis 1 and 2. But, but the Bible always taught, this is where you get, okay, by the way, this is where you get, because there's something instinctive in us that knows this, this is where you get all the, like the hero movies, like, that there's, like, like there's a hero that's going to come and he's going to rescue people and he's going to rescue something, right? This is where you get it. Because the Bible always taught that the rightful king of the world would come back someday. Like a, like a, like a long-lost hero who returns to deliver his people, so the king of the world would return. He would vanquish his enemies, he would rescue his people, and he would renew the world to its original design. Mark... Mark understands. He sees. He's got it. He knows. He understands that that in Jesus, God the King has returned. And he points to the authority with with which Jesus teaches and with which uh, Jesus acts. And he says, 
He says, look, that's a sign. Those are signs that the king has returned. Okay, and so he starts with the teaching. Let's just talk for just a moment about the teaching. What is it that people sensed? Because they said, right, they said back there in the text, it it says that they were all like, wow, we're amazed. He teaches with such authority. What was it about his teaching that was so different? Okay, I want you to think back. Some of you have been with us like since the beginning of the year. Okay, I want you to think back about something uh, I said a number of weeks ago. I said, I said this. I said, if you think that the Bible is all about you and what you must do and what codes and conducts you must follow and how you have to live in order to get a blessing from God or to go to heaven or whatever, uh, I said that if that's the way you read the Bible, if that's the way you understand the Bible, I said it will be dry and you will be crushed by its demands. And see, that, that's the way that the teachers of the law taught the Bible. Codes and demands and rules and regulations. And it was just lifeless and crushing to the souls of people. Okay? But Jesus taught the Bible very differently. He taught the law like it was an autobiography. You know, like a biography is something somebody else writes about you. An autobiography is something that you write about yourself. It's your own life. You know, you write your own story, okay? That's how Jesus taught the law, like it was an autobiography. You have to understand, the Bible is not a book about you. It has implications for you and for me, but it's not about us. The Bible is a book about Jesus from beginning to the end, and that's how he taught it. He taught it in the first person. He understood that all of the things in the law and the prophets were about him and that they pointed to him. He was the lamb that was slain at the Passover in the Old Testament. He was the blood. His was the blood that was on the doorpost of every Jewish home that kept them from the angel of death. He was the rock in the desert that was smitten by the rod of justice. He was the water in the desert that miraculously slaked the thirst of the Israelites. He was the tabernacle. He was the altar. He was the light in the Holy of Holies. He was the bread. He was the prophet, he was the priest, and he is the king. He was teaching them because it's all about him in the Bible. And that's how he taught the scriptures, you see. First person, autobiographical. His presence was the fulfillment of all of those things in the law. And the people sensed this. They sensed his authority when he taught the scriptures because it was all about him, okay? That's what they were sensing. And that's what Mark wanted us to see. It was like, okay, something is really different here. Uh, The king is here. And he's teaching about himself as he teaches this. But it's not just his teaching that uh, that Mark calls attention to. He also points to the authority with which Jesus acted as signs that the king has returned. When a demon cries out in this passage, notice what happens. Okay, And as you notice it, Think back to the creation of God's kingdom in Genesis chapter 1. When God creates, what does he do? He speaks. Let there be light, and there was light. Watch this. Jesus speaks a command to the demon. Be quiet. Come out of him. And what happens? It happens. The demon obeys. Okay? Mark is calling us back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when God spoke and something happened. Here, in the same way, God speaks in the, in the, na- in the person of Jesus, and something happens. Okay? Who possibly, who could possibly have that kind of authority that even the demons obey? Okay? 
And then what else didn't exist in God's kingdom back in Genesis 1 and 2? Sickness didn't exist back then. If you've ever read ahead in the Bible all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, what does it say? It says that, it says that in, in, at, at the very end, when the world has been renewed, it says that there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more death. Okay? Mark records Jesus healing Simon's mother-in-law to show that Jesus even has authority over sickness. In other words, here's why Mark is pointing out this authority thing. Because he wants us to understand that the king of the world has returned to take back what is his. He will destroy the tyranny of Satan and he will renew the world to its original design. This is why, as you notice throughout this book, Mark writes with this breathless urgency. He wants us to get this. You've got to get this, folks. This, I mean, this is what he's saying to us. He's like, you've got to see this. You've got to get this. Don't miss this. The king has returned. He's setting everything right now. The king's back. Do you understand that that there is nothing, nothing that CNN or any newspaper uh, has ever reported or ever will report that is this momentous? Nothing. This is like, like there is no news after Jesus returns. There's no news. The king is back. The king has come home. The king is taking back the kingdom. Nothing else is important. Mark says, get it. This is why he speaks with such urgency throughout this book. Understand this. Do it now. Believe. Bring your life under Jesus' authority. That's what Mark wants us to get. Why? Two reasons. Listen to me on these two reasons. First, You will never know who you are until you know whose you are. You just won't. Like you think, I gotta go find myself, you know, whatever. You gotta understand something. Your life is not your own. You belong to the king of the world and if you're trying to find yourself, to discover yourself, if you're trying to find yourself, you'll never be able to do so outside of the reign of the rightful king of your life. You never will. You can look for the rest of your life. You'll never find yourself outside of his reign over your life. Second, only the king, only the king can heal what is broken in you. Just as the Bible always promised that the king would return to heal the world, so he returned to heal you. And when you bring your life under the authority of the kingship of Jesus, everything, in your, everything broken in your life will begin to heal. The deepest wounds, uh, the most calloused scars, the sharpest edges, the cynicism, the skepticism, all of it will begin to heal as you submit to the authority of the king. See, you, you are his. No one knows you like he does. No one loves you like he does. Mark wants you to get this. He wants you to bring your life and every part of your life now under his authority. Don't wait, he says. Do it now, quickly, okay? Bring your career under his authority. Bring your marriage under his authority. Bring your sex life under his authority. Bring your money under his authority. Bring your intellect under his authority. Bring everything. Bring your parenting under his authority. Because the king has come back for you. 
And under his authority, you will flourish in every way. That's why Mark wants us to get this issue of Jesus' authority so badly. Like, don't wait, because he is the king. Okay, he also wants us to see Jesus' humility in this, okay? Jesus' humility. Look at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. So he traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Uh, Just a quick thing, want to say this. This has nothing to do with everything else I'm going to say. So this is free to you guys today, all right? This thing where it describes, you know, very early in the morning while it was dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off and prayed. Okay, very early in the morning. Here's the thing. I am so tired of listening to people talk about the fact that this is uh, the Bible's command that you must get up early in the morning and have a devotional time. I am so tired of hearing that. There is a difference in the Bible between things that are descriptive and things that are prescriptive. This is descriptive. It's what Jesus did. It's not a command. It is not prescriptive. If you are a morning person, get up, have your devotional time in the morning. Great. If you are not a morning person, like me, do it when you want to do it. Do it at noon. Do it at 10. Do it in the evening. I don't care. Do it. Do it. But you don't got to do it at 7 or at 5 or 4. You don't have to do that. Okay? So feel some freedom, those of you who are not morning people. Those of you who are morning people, you're weird. You don't need the freedom anyway. (laughs) All right. This is an example of one of the geniuses. This little section is an example of one of the geniuses of Mark's gospel. He allows us to see virtues that are combined in Jesus that never anywhere else in anyone else are combined. And this is what I mean. Okay, This is the king of the world. He's the king of the world. And yet he's on his knees praying, bowing a knee to his father. Where do you see that? This is an up-and-coming rock star. Notice everybody's after him. Everyone's looking for him. Hashtag Jesus is trending upwards on Twitter. People are posting videos of him healing demons on their Facebook pages. His name is going viral everywhere. Everyone's looking for you, the disciples tell him. And then what does Jesus say? Well, then let's go somewhere else. Let's go somewhere else. Here's something that you're going to notice about Jesus as we walk through Mark. Jesus is way more interested in the quality of people's response to him than in the quantity of the crowd. Way more interested in the quality of the response to him than the quantity of the crowd. Uh, Let me ask you something. Where do you see that in celebrity culture today? Uh, Where do you see celebrities pass up opportunities for fame? Where do you see that? It's all about numbers, right? It's all about numbers. By the way, I want to tell you guys something. We're going to take a second offering in a little bit, and we'll announce it next Sunday on May 17th. But if you'd like to know early, just follow me on Twitter at J.S. Kincaid. 
okay? So follow me on Twitter at JSKincaid, and then that will increase my numbers. You see what I'm saying? It's all about numbers. Everybody's about numbers these days. Jesus isn't about numbers. He's about quality of people's response, not the quantity of the crowd. Mark wants us to understand that this king is different than any other political figure or any other celebrity that you have ever encountered. On the one hand, his authority is unrivaled. Even demons and sickness obey him. And yet, on the other hand, there is a humility about him unlike anything or anyone that you have ever encountered. And I want to say something. It is no coincidence that when Mark wants to teach us about Jesus' humility, he takes us to his prayer life. Because prayer, you see, is the ultimate act of humility before God. In that, prayer says that you place no faith in human flesh to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in you and through you in your life. And it's fascinating to me that the busier Jesus gets, the more he prays. Is that how you usually respond to busyness in your life? That the busier you get, the more the demands, the more you pray. Uh, I'm going to just tell you something. Honestly, for me, uh, prayer is the first thing that tends to get squeezed out. And I, I'm, not, I'm not proud of that. Uh, I am not proud to say that at, at all. You, you would think that as a pastor, like I would always be great at prioritizing prayer in my life, but I'm not. And, you know, honestly, like you, uh, I place way too much confidence in my own talents and abilities to accomplish what God wants to accomplish through me. Uh, I do. But here's the thing. If Jesus felt so supremely, if Jesus, the king of the world, God in the flesh, felt so supremely the need to pray when things got busy, how much more does a flawed man like me need to pray uh, when things get busy? And how about you too? Because you see, what God wants to accomplish in your life um, and through your life, in your marriage, with your kids, in your relationships, in your schoolwork, in your career, uh, it's not going to be accomplished by your talents and abilities alone. You need the power of God in your life. And that only comes through, it only comes through prayer. And so Jesus models this supreme uh, priority of prayer. He models this humility that is something that none of us in the room understand or demonstrate in the way that Jesus did. And Mark wants us to get this. Here's the king who has all this authority, and yet he's humble at the same time. Where do you see those things balanced in our world? Okay, finally, let me, let me just move, move on. And let's get this issue of Jesus' multidimensionality. That's a hard word to say, multidimensionality. And I want you to look at verse 40. We're going to read this last story, and then we'll, we'll close after that. A man with leprosy came to him, and he begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And filled with compassion, Jesus, this is really important, underline, highlight this phrase, Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched the man. That is not something that you do to a leper, uh, because it's contagious. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. 
And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Uh, Instead, though, the man went out, and he began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he had to stay outside in lonely places. Uh, Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. I think we get a little insight here into why Jesus felt so supremely the need to pray. Back in verse 37, in the previous section that we read, in verse 37, the people of Capernaum are all looking for him. And you get, right, you understand what they wanted from Jesus. They wanted him to stay with them and to just keep healing them because they knew they were going to keep getting sick. And here's this guy who can heal us. And so stay right here in Capernaum and just keep healing us. You know, be like a shaman or something. Be our village healer. But Jesus will neither stay in one place or... or he, he, he's not going to stay in one place, but he's also not going to limit his work to the one-dimensional ministry of just healing people. He keeps, uh, he, he says, I'm going to keep moving. Let's, you know, all the people want me to stay. They're all after me, but I'm going to keep moving. I want to go to the villages because I want to preach to them also. And what he says, you know, what he's saying in that is, is not only just not this one place, but I, I, I want to preach to people too. I don't want to just heal. I want to preach to people too. Now, why was he so concerned about being one-dimensional in his ministry? Well, think about this. When you cast out demons and heal people's physical ailments, like those are needs that people know they have, right? You understand that, right? Okay, so like if you have a fever, you know you're sick, right? Uh, or, or, Or if your head starts spinning 360 degrees around your neck and you're puking green vomit and a different voice is coming out of your mouth, you know you need an exorcism, right? Like nobody has to, like that's obvious. That's just there. You know it. But Jesus knows that there are needs that are deeper and more fundamental than just obvious physical needs. Back up in verse 15, we read it earlier. Jesus preaches to the people, repent and believe the good news. Most people, most people don't think that the greatest sickness of their life can only be healed by repentance of your own kingship over your life and bringing your life under the kingship, under the reign of the authority of Jesus. Okay? Most people don't get that. But Jesus wants to give people total, multidimensional healing, not just physical healing, but total healing. Okay, And you see this beautifully demonstrated in this healing of the leper. Now, uh, leprosy in those days was not by any means just a disease. It was a total condition, physical, uh, social, spiritual. Okay, It included all of those things. Physically, to be a leper meant that you were literally falling apart. It ate you alive. Okay? Socially, if you had leprosy, you were a pariah. Like you were contagious. And so you weren't allowed anywhere near the inhabited places. You wouldn't be allowed to come into a church like this if you had leprosy back then. You couldn't do that. Okay? You had to stay away from people. In fact, you had to stay outside the city in lonely places, in isolation. Okay? So physically and socially, uh, you see the problem. And then spiritually, most people believed back then that lepers were cursed by God. And so they were cut off from public worship. 
And so a leper needed not just physical healing, a leper needed multidimensional salvation. And you can see this reflected in the leper's request. Look at what he says in verse 40. He says, okay, think about this now, before you read it, before I read it, let me just think about this. If he were a Greek or a Roman leper, or if he were an American leper, he would have said, if you're willing, you can make me well. But notice he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, he, he, he says if you're willing, you can make me, what's the word? Clean. You can make me clean, he says. That meant clean before God, spiritually. Clean before his community, socially. Okay? And clean of body, physically. He knew he needed all of that healing. And Jesus, uh, Jesus gave it to him. Do you know why? Do you know why Jesus gave it to him? Jesus, you saw it in the text, he, he reaches out and he touches this man. Why? Why, why does Jesus touch him? Does, it, does Jesus need to touch him to heal him? No. I mean, Jesus can heal him without touching him. We know that from other healings that he does in the Gospels. He doesn't have to touch him. Jesus doesn't touch him because his body needs it. Jesus touches him Because his soul needs it. Jesus is touching this man out of love. See, see, he's not ignoring his soul. He's touching a man who is absolutely starved for love. You know, babies can't survive without touch, right? They've got to be touched. I mean, studies have shown that. They, they, actually, they actually have to be touched. And this man's soul is starving for human touch, human affection. And so Jesus doesn't ignore his soul needs. He reaches out and he says to him, I'm with you. And, and he says, you know, it's like he says, how do you like that touch? And he's giving him, he's giving this man the multidimensional healing, salvation that this man needs. And I just, I just want to say this. Understand that this is what it means for us to be a church for the city. Okay? That we offer to everyone in this city a multidimensional kind of salvation. Yeah, we, we preach the truth of Jesus Christ because souls need that. But we don't just stop with words. We meet their physical needs. And we meet their relational needs. We go where they are. We touch them because they need touch. We meet their relational needs. We model for them what relational healing looks like as we bring all of our relationships under the reign and the authority of Jesus Christ. In short, we offer them multidimensional salvation. We don't just offer spiritual healing through preaching truth. We don't just offer, on the other hand, to just meet physical needs. We offer multidimensional salvation through both our word and our deeds. Okay? And if we're able to purchase St. John's United Church of Christ on the basis of what this second offering yields this morning, that's what we will do in this city. We will be a church for the city in every respect that this city needs a church, both in word and in deed, okay? That's what we'll do. Okay, let me, let me just wrap this up. 
it occurred to me as I was studying this passage and reflecting on it and thinking about it that there might be another reason that Jesus touches this leper in addition to the fact that the man needed to be touched. There might be another reason. And here's what I'm speculating that it is. That Jesus was saying, I identify with you in a way that you can't imagine right now. Because Jesus knew something that this leper didn't know. Jesus knew that he too would soon become a leper of sorts. Like a leper, he would be forced out of the city of Jerusalem to hang on a cross. Like a leper, Jesus' body would disintegrate on the cross in enormous pain and torment. And like a leper, all would look on him and know that he had been cursed by God because the Bible says, he who hangs on a tree is cursed. And like a leper, he would be isolated from the very community, the very relationships that he, had, that he had had with him through all of eternity and that meant everything to him. The relationship that he existed from before time with the Father and the Holy Spirit who had to turn their face from him as he hung cosmically alone on a cross. Why? Why did Jesus hang on that cross? It's out of love for you. You have a need that for a long time, maybe for some of you, you didn't even know you had until today. You need your sins forgiven by the only one who has the authority to forgive them and by the only king who has the humility to die for his servants and by the only king who can heal you in every way that you need healed. And so it's time today to bring your life under the authority of the king who has returned to the earth for you. Today, it's time to do that.